When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, photographing seances, physical mediums, and ectoplasm. You sit in the dark and then a, a small light goes on and you see white substances with tiny pictures in them. And then all of a sudden, then it disappears. So you're not even really sure what you saw. And he allowed me to photograph this. And when it happened, it looks just like the vintage images that you see. This podcast is brought to you by International Star Registry. Choosing a gift for someone special can be a daunting task. Whether it's a birthday, Mother's Day, Father's Day, anniversary, or any other big day, you want a gift that's unique and perfect for that person who already has everything. International Star Registry can help. They've been providing unique gift ideas for over 25 years. International Star Registry lets you name an actual star in the sky after your special someone. Name a star after someone you care about and they'll remember it forever and never forget your thoughtfulness. The address is getarealstar.com. Getarealstar.com and give someone the gift of a real star in the sky. That address again, getarealstar.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Happy Friday. Hey, don't forget the weekly draw. I'll tell you how to enter later on. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was at my mom's and I found a shoebox of uh, old photographs. Some of mine were mixed in there, and I found one I hadn't thought about in quite some time. Maybe 17 years ago, I was working at CFRB 1010 in Toronto, hosting a late-night program, and I took some listeners on a ghost walk through Mount Pleasant Cemetery once the sun went down. And we had a, a paranormal investigator with us. She encouraged us to bring cameras along and to take pictures whenever we felt suddenly compelled uh, to do so. And I took a total of one photograph, I think. I passed by this family mausoleum in the cemetery, very old, and the name kind of struck me as odd. So I thought, oh, I'll take a, a picture of this. Uh, the name on the mausoleum was Fluke, F-L-U-K-E. So, again, I thought, why not? I took the photo, and I uh, took the film to be developed across from the radio station, a Japan camera, I think. And remember that, developing film? Anyway, lo and behold, the one cemetery photo I took of the mausoleum showed this strange streak of kind of bluish-green light above uh, the mausoleum. It almost was streaking across the uh, the frame. Pretty cool, I thought. Okay, not exactly definitive proof of life after death, and I can't say one way or the other whether it's a spirit apparition, but I'm sure many of you have similar photos. Strange orbs that could be a dust particle or a lens flare or your late Uncle Harold coming by to say hi. But in the early days of photography, many believed and hoped that the camera would prove more efficient than the human eye in capturing the unseen. And spiritualists of the 19th century seized on this new technology as a method of substantiating the existence of supernatural beings and happenings. We're going to talk about spirit photography uh, over the next uh, 40 minutes or so. Shannon Taggart is a photographer based in Brooklyn, New York, whose work blurs the line between art, anthropology, and the paranormal. Her photographs have been exhibited and featured internationally, including within the publications of Time, New York Times Magazine, Discover, and Newsweek. From 2014 to 2016, she was scholar and artist-in-residence at the Morbid Anatomy Museum in New York. 
and her fabulous collection of photographs depicting the new spiritualist movement is called Seance, Spiritualist Ritual and the Search for Ectoplasm. Sharon Taggart, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Great book. Beautiful book, uh, Seance. Now, as a photographer, did you approach this subject of, of spiritualism and the paranormal as someone who is interested in the paranormal, maybe who had experiences, or were you simply looking at this as a great subject, great subject matter for a, a book on photography? Uh, well, I actually was drawn to the topic of spiritualism because my cousin had a reading with a me- medium that revealed some details about my grandfather's death that proved to be true. And before that, I didn't know anything about spiritualism or mediumship at all. And I was working as a professional photographer. I was doing newspaper photography and public public relations photography. And I thought I'd spend one summer uh, doing a short project about a quirky little town called Lilydale, mm-hmm. which, which was all spiritualists. And instead, um, the project evolved into a 17-year epic work on the topic of spiritualism. And I have to ask you, uh, how did you get Dan Aykroyd, a fellow Canadian, uh, to contribute to this book? He wrote the foreword. Uh, Yes, uh, he... um, So Dan Aykroyd is actually a fourth-generation spiritualist. And so, you know, in in Ghostbusters, uh, when he's using terms like ectoplasm, that's really coming from his real knowledge of spiritualism and and, uh, his own um, family history. And so Dan uh, happened to be in Lilydale, this town where I began my project, and we met, and he liked my work, so he offered to write the foreword. Oh, fabulous. That's that's a terrific coup. Good for you. Uh, And I have to also ask you, you were a scholar and artist in residence at, I love this name, the Morbid Anatomy Museum in New York. Tell me about that. So the Morbid Anatomy Museum, the actual physical space has sadly closed. Um, It closed last year, but it's still working as a project. So Morbid Anatomy is, um, it, it began as a blog that was about a history of medicine and where that um, collides with art and and the topic of death and um, popular culture. So spiritualism kind of fits into that umbrella, uh, being a, a religion that believes that we can speak with the dead. So that that's how I kind of got associated with morbid anatomy. But we we do all sorts of lectures and books and. Um, exhibitions about this intersection um, between death and art and popular culture and um, history. Well, speaking of history, what did you learn about the spiritualist movement? Obviously, it was very, very big in in Great Britain, I guess, what, late 19th century into the, well, right into the maybe the mid-20th century, and, and part of that was transplanted here in, in America. But what did you learn about the spiritualist movement maybe that fascinated you? Well, um, actually, I, I, I learned so much interesting, so many interesting facts that that's part of the reason my project became this long work. And spiritualism actually began in America. It began in 1848 in upstate New York, which, you know, it, so it's a uniquely American religion ah. that then that then traveled to Europe and then, you know, through, through the Americas, you know, so it took off and still is more alive in places like Brazil or England than it is in America. But, you know, it began in upstate New York in, a, in an area called the Burned Over District, very close to where Mormonism began, where the Shaker movement began, a lot of utopian communities. So it's this very unique moment in American history where there was this uh, religious kind of, um, you know, big epic blow up of religion in, in um, the farmlands of upstate New York. Did you spend any time uh, discussing the the Fox sisters or researching the Fox sisters? Yes, yes, because the Fox sisters are the accidental founders of the movement. I mean, they were young girls, I think 11 and 13, when they began, um, they claimed they were communicating with the spirit of a ma- of a dead man who was buried beneath their home. And they were communicating and getting information with him with a, a knocking using the alphabet they called it um 
it, it became to be known as a, their spiritual telegraph to to his spirit and um their older sister kind of started taking them around and showing people that they could talk with spirits and then it just exploded into a movement so it was an accidental kind of founding of a religion but they are sort of the patron saints you know that the, consider the founders of this religious movement of spiritualism and you you mentioned uh, lilydale uh, new york which mm-hmm. is, uh, as you point out, the home of the world's largest spiritualist community. And, and you went there after your cousin received this reading from a medium about your, your, your grandfather's death. Um, yes. Tell me about Lilydale. Is it, has it become sort of a kitschy tourist place, or do you think it has sort of remained true to the spiritualist movement? Oh, that is, uh, one thing that I find totally amazing about Lilydale is, there is this very, it's almost like going into a time warp, the town of Lilydale, because they have kept something from that era alive. I always joke and kind of describe it as an analog town, you know, now we're, when we're in this digital age and everything is, um, you know, really, really digitized, it feels still very like you you are in another era. There, The homes are these Victorian cottages and Many of them are the same structures that were built in the late 1880s. You know, it's been there, I think it was founded in 1878, and it's um, kind of tucked away on a lake, so it's really separated from um, any other city. It's kind of in this remote area, and it was built over where um, land that was sacred to Native Americans. So it does. It has this otherworldly feel because you have to travel there, and, you know, it's these older structures that are still intact, and they are practicing traditional spiritualism. Now, during the summer, they also have, you know, psychic courses or things that would be considered more new age, but the, the, the crux of their content is true to the spiritualist tradition. And I guess this sort of uh, kicked off your, your research because some of the photos in this chapter date back to 2001. So we're going back 17 years and there's a, a photo of a woman named Dorothy standing in the doorway of her house uh, with this purple orb right smack dab in the, in the photo, sort of hovering over her left shoulder. Tell me about that, that photo. Yes, that's one of the first, um, I call them my accidental images that I began to make, uh, where I had something bizarre happened with my camera that I couldn't explain. So I was photographing this woman, her name was Dorothy, and she was a, a volunteer at the Lilydale Museum. And I was, I was shooting film at the time, and I got on two different rolls of film, in uh, two different frames, I got a large purple orb that was on her shoulder, on her, it was on the same shoulder in both images at the same spot of her body. And I really couldn't explain how I got this orb because I wasn't shooting into the sun and it wasn't lens flare. I had never gotten anything like this before. So I printed the pictures and I brought them to her. And I said, you know, I took these pictures. I got this very weird purple orb near you. And she looked at the pictures and said, oh, that's my husband, Bob. And she really believed that it was Bob's energy that was, you know, breaking through and showing showing himself his energy to my camera. You know, now a professional photographer would say it's got to be some just fluke in the film processing or some sort of light leak, you know, but she really felt that it was his, his energy. And so that, that kind of idea is, is one of the themes of the book is like photographic anomaly. Is there meaning involved? Can we photograph um, things you can't see? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I've I've seen you know dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of pictures from uh, uh, amateur photographers, and uh, they say, "Well, look at that. That's an orb." And I've taken a few and and uh, have seen this phenomenon. But you're a professional photographer. How do you, can you explain? the presence of uh, of that particular orb as you say you know most often it could be a dust particle or a, a a lens flare what about this this particular photo 
Um, well, you know, I don't know. I don't really have any answers. Um, but my my working theory, you know, the thing that I'm most interested in is, you, you know, nowadays, there's a lot of people trying to photograph this orb phenomena, and many of them are using these smaller digital cameras. And when you have a, a photographer analyze this, they'll say, oh, it's just dust or it's just water, and that's all that's, that's happening in the images. But when I've spent time with people who photograph orbs, it's not so much about what is causing the orbs. It's about that they're trying to have an interaction with these orbs, meaning they'll call them in. They'll say, okay, we're going to ask the orbs to fill up the room. And I've seen images where slowly they take pictures. And then by the end of the series, there'll be a room full of orbs or they'll zoom in on orbs and try to see faces and, and then compare the faces to images of their loved ones. Uh, I myself had a very weird experience when I went into the mountains of Sardinia with uh, with some orb photographers who told me if they said their prayers, I would get tons and tons of orbs in my images. And I normally do not get lots of orbs in my images. And lo and behold, I took a photo and I did. I got it, that that image is on my website. I, I took a picture and it was just orbs upon orbs upon orbs. As far as you can zoom in, there's just you could, you still see orbs and it wasn't raining and there wasn't a storm of insects. So I really cannot explain why I got those orbs at that time. So I think it's the, the real um, bizarre thing about the orbs is the synchronicities that happen or when people try to um, kind of communicate with these orbs. I, I find that fascinating. Uh, it, it really is. Um, sometimes it can get real bizarre. I was going to ask you whether, in retrospect, after taking on this project, you think you got more than you bargained for. Um, I have had some um, I have had some strange experiences uh, with my camera and also receiving messages or or having experiences with mediums. But at the same time, I've also had a lot of really silly or hilarious experiences or experiences that were not meaningful. So it's it is a kind of you know i i feel like it's nothing it's not a topic that you can make a definitive book about i am just trying to kind of raise questions and and kind of delve into the mystery of this phenomena of mediumship and the religion of spiritualism uh, sticking with lilydale because that's sort of where this project all began again your your sister's experience uh, at a place called inspiration stump tell me about that so Inspiration Stump is a place, uh, it's deep in the woods, and in Lilydale they have these virgin woods forests that um, some of the trees are some of the oldest in North America. And uh, they uh, you go deep into the woods and there's these benches, and I guess it could probably seat around 200 people, so it's almost like a outdoor little cathedral. And there's a, a, a stump that has been cut down, and that's where the mediums stand, and it's it's a place that's sacred to spiritualists and spiritualism at Lilydale. And so the mediums stand in the front of all these benches and they just pick out strangers and give them short messages um, from the spirit world. And that is where my cousin went. So a lot of, it wasn't like she wrote down her name and the medium could have researched her or anything. You go anonymously. So it does kind of lend itself to, um, having a mysterious experience because you know the per you don't even know what medium is going to show up there and then they don't know that they don't know you because you haven't signed up for it it's just you you go as you as you want you go anonymously um so that those then those message services can be really interesting and what information was imparted to your cousin by this medium about your grandfather's death that no one could have known well, I mean, he was dying of um, cancer in the hospital, but actually what killed him was not the cancer. There was some kind of accident where he was given food and actually choked to death, and that's how he died. And that's the detail that was revealed. And it's kind of, and everybody was just always told, oh, he, Grandpa, that, you know, he died of brain cancer, which is what he did have and he was dying of, but that's not what caused his death. And... Um, that, as far as I know, is not written anywhere in my family. Uh, I mean, it's not like we had a text that told us that. It was just people knew. They just didn't talk about it. And it was not revealed to me or other members of my immediate family until my cousin came back with this story from Lilydale. 
so it was kind of when I when I heard the story, I said, how could somebody possibly know something like that? You know, that's so weird. And it had happened 30 years prior to that is remarkable. Did it take a lot of time to gain the trust of some of the subjects in this book? For example, you have uh, photographs of mediums during actual readings. There's a, a medium by the name of Gretchen Clark, who's a fifth generation medium. And uh, you, you're in there snapping photos while she's doing a reading. In this case, we have a photo of her laughing as her deceased brother interrupts this reading, telling her a joke. So did it take t- a lot of t- work and effort to gain their trust to allow you to take these photographs? Uh, uh, yes, but I have to say from the moment I proposed the project, the people of Lilydale were they were so welcoming and they were willing to teach me about their religion, which I knew nothing about. And I think they trusted me because they knew I was truly curious. Um, I have since expanded the project to other places, you know, that are important to spiritualism, like the Arthur Finley College in England. And I've, I've been all over the world in seance rooms and, um, but it was, it really got my start in Lilydale and, and, um, I think because those people trusted me, then other spiritualists did as well. But um, it did it did take a while to get into some of the situations, which would be um, some of the um, Victorian-style seance rooms where they do this thing called physical mediumship. That usually, many times, they don't allow cameras there, and I have been lucky to be able to photograph some of those. Yes, I definitely want to come back to the uh, the physical mediumship and the ectoplasm. But first, I have to ask you about this photograph of a woman who is said to be channeling her doppelganger. <clears throat> Excuse me, this was taken in 2003. Uh, and here we have, uh, well, well, you tell me, tell me about this photograph, because uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm looking at here. Yeah, so that photograph was one of my another one of my early synchronicities where I was in um, a situation where they had the lights down and we were using a red light and we were everybody was supposed to take the red light and um, sit for transfiguration that's a, a spiritualist term for when you try to see if your face changes when you're sitting in the dark and and if the spirits will show up and this woman had the flashlight over her and everybody in the room seemed to be seeing a spirit next to her that wasn't her but looked very much like her and they were saying oh maybe it's your grandmother or maybe it's you in a past life and everybody was going on and on about this second face that was right next to her face but it was kind of just just slightly off and I couldn't see this with my eyes and at the time I was actually trying to make a very straightforward sharp image of what was happening and when I got my film back I had a picture of this floating face right next to hers that looked like her, but a little bit different. And it, it actually looked exactly as the people were describing what they saw in their mind's eye. And so that uh, little accident was very thrilling to me because it actually made an image for the invisible experience that everybody was having. And I didn't do it purposely. My camera shutter, you know, maybe it was a function of her of, of some movement or whatever, but it was so perfectly rendered that I felt compelled to um, pursue images like that while I was doing my documentary work. So what I'm hearing is the, the very practical, almost scientific analysis from Shannon Deckard about what we're seeing on that image. But, I mean, what do you think that is? Truly. You know, I don't... I don't know. I, I, what the term, the only term that I can use that, this, that feels appropriate is it, it's a photographic synchronicity. Now, what are synchronicities? I don't, I don't know, but I've had several where I understand it could be a, you know, a function of my shutter or the technical apparatus that I'm using, but it correlates so perfectly to the invisible experience. It is a it's a compelling synchronicity, and I, you know I don't have an answer for that, but I love having these type of pictures in the project because they make the viewer question and interpret what's happening as well. Um, so I'm, it's I think images like this come close to giving the viewer of my images an experience like I had when I was in the sitting. 
I, I, I'm not even an amateur photographer. I mean, I'm the guy that cuts off heads at, you know, at the Christmas party taking all the photos. Uh, but I mean, I've never seen a double exposure look like that. I've never seen any sort of, as you call it, a synchronicity or a problem with a shutter reproduce an image like that. Is it, is it not possible to have a photograph analyzed to, to rule out those possibilities? Well, this is part of the problem with photography, and it, it actually relates to early spiritualism, where in the beginning, spiritualists were trying to scientifically prove the existence of spirits by using photography. And in that era, there was a lot of hope that photography could be used in this scientific way. But now, you know, to answer your question about studying photographs, um, for you know scientific study is there's too many variables involved with photography for it to be considered a scientific uh, device you know it's almost photography is art and science it's too subjective you know there's too many factors that um, can play with its its truth-telling abilities if that makes sense oh sure so sure. Photoshop so has come in, a long way mm-hmm so instead of shying away from this ambiguity i'm trying to embrace it and see how far i can go with it and you know i'll have a lot of people say well why are you bother doing it because you're not proving anything and then i have other people say you know it's just blurry pictures who care you know there's nothing compelling here but i am finding it the ambiguity and the strangeness very compelling so i'm trying to go as far as i can with it and see what happens well, while we remain among the living, we have to take care of ourselves and our bodies deserve the best. But how do we choose the very best nutritional supplements or even know what's in them? Life Extension has been helping people stay healthy for over 35 years. Just like with the foods you eat, the quality, purity, and potency of the ingredients in your nutritional supplements really do matter. Life Extension supplements set the gold standard for supporting weight loss, heart, brain, bone, joint, eyes, skin, sexual health, and so much more. Their formulas are based on the latest scientific research and clinically validated dosages. That's one reason why 98% of their customers recommend Life Extension to their friends and family. Every Life Extension product is backed by a total satisfaction guarantee. The bottom line? Life Extension is the brand you can trust with your health. Check out Life Extension products with special savings. Visit SmartClickIdea.com. That's SmartClickIdea.com. SmartClickIdea.com. Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Professional photographer Shannon Taggart is here. We're talking about her collection of photographs depicting the spiritualist movement. The resurgence, I suppose, of physical mediumship is is fascinating to me. Um, what is yeah. uh, they're calling it the New Age physical medium movement? I guess tell me about it. Um, so when spiritualism began, you know there was always clairvoyant mediumship, which is you know just when you're talking, and then but then there was these dark seance rooms where the lights were turned out and the mediums would go into trance and they would try to create physical effects. And there were stories of, of tables tipping and, and hands touching and um, voices of the other side coming in. And that would be considered physical mediumship. Now, spiritualism in the modern era has really moved forward in a, in a way very much like what you see on the popular television shows like The Long Island Medium. Or I think there's even a show about a young, a young Hollywood medium and, or John Edwards, where you're in a, a light room, it's bright, there's nothing spooky, they're just having a conversation, there's no trance state really involved. I mean, maybe the medium's in a slightly altered consciousness, but nothing too spooky, nothing too strange, it's very straightforward. Many people believe this is the way for spiritualism to move forward, is, is this way. And then there's another movement the new age of physical mediumship within spiritualism that says, no, we've always done these sensory deprivation, dark seance experiments all throughout our religion. So why should we stop now? We also have to do that 
too. So it's kind of a controversial topic within spiritualism of whether we need the seance room anymore. What is the way forward? Do we need to do the spooky dark room and, and go into trance and sit in a medium's cabinet? Or can we just do clairvoyant mediumship out in the open? Tell me about Sharon Harvey, this uh, physical medium uh, from England. Um, Sharon Harvey is a physical medium who she sits um, in a in a medium's cabinet, which is it's a, it's a structure that they build. It's sort of like a spiritualist staging area, I guess. You know, it's a little box, and she sits in it with a with a little red light and has. A, a circle of sitters sit around her and she tries to create physical effects and see if she can manifest spirits visually over her, her face. And I've photographed her many times and I've had some really strange synchronicities photographing her while she's in this trance state. Yes. Uh, I'm looking at one in which um, it looks like it's under a red light and the caption describes her spirit guide revealing his mask. Tell me about yes. that. So uh, a lot of times I will, when the medium is in the trance state, they, um, the person who would be talking, the, the medium would say they are not talking personally. It's their spirit team or their spirit guide is speaking to you. So Sharon went into a trance and before her trance, Sharon herself said, you know, don't do any long exposures because everybody thinks those are too um, too iffy for proof. I want you to only do short exposures. And I said, okay, I will. And then we, she goes into a trance, and then her spirit guide said, I want you to take one long exposure, and during this long exposure, I'm going to show you my mask. And so I did take one long exposure, and the image that resulted was a picture where it looks like her face is being pulled apart, and somebody is showing a profile um, that separates from Sharon's face. And even where it, it happens, there's like a bright pink light that seems to emerge. You know, and I was not expecting that picture. And once I open the shutter, I have no control over how this this long exposure is going to render. So I would consider that one of my synchronicity pictures that I um, really find fascinating. Were you, were you able to detect anything with the naked eye? Did you see anything unusual with your naked eye? No, I mean, sometimes, not in that situation, I did not, but sometimes in these dark rooms with the tiny red light, you do see things, and a neuroscientist would say, you know, you're seeing things because your brain doesn't have enough information in this sensory deprivation kind of, you know, it's very dim red light, and your brain is trying to create a story because it doesn't like the lack of information. And a spiritualist would say, no, you're seeing spirit phenomena. So, you know, it depends on who you ask what you're seeing, but in the, it, sometimes you do see, you'll see a person's face just totally shift and morph and it's um, it's sort it's a very psychedelic experience. It's it's very bizarre, um, and that's the that's the transfiguration uh, term that I mentioned before. So you know it depends on the person <laughs> um, who you ask what is happening in those type of situations. Right, but the the lens doesn't care about sensory deprivation. It's not tricked by sensory deprivation, and yet you have these remarkable photos like physical medium uh, Gordon Garforth. Uh, yes. Tell me about that. This is at, this is at the um, at the Institute in, in Stansted, correct? Yes, yes. And I actually have two very strange experiences with Gordon. The first was that when I first met him, he said, oh, yeah, well, I go into trance and then the spirits, they use ectoplasm to change the shape of my hands. And I thought, okay, this is probably, I'm probably not going to see anything like this because some, you know, I have been in sittings where people say you're going to see these fantastic things and then you don't. But I went to the sitting anyway and I sat in the front row with my camera and about 20 minutes in, his wife announced, okay, Gordon's going to, the spirits are going to work with Gordon's hands right now. And he put forth his hand and he was wearing a short sleeve shirt. And he moved his hand forward, and all of a sudden, it looked like it skipped into this huge, gigantic hand. And I screamed in the middle of the seance room, which is a very impolite <laughs> thing to be doing in a seance room, you know. You're not supposed to do that. And 
everybody else started screaming too. So I, I was thinking, okay, are they screaming because I'm screaming or did they see this big hand? I was convinced I hypnotically rendered this hand because I was told I was going to see a hand and that it you know, if I got my pictures back or when I looked at my camera, I would see a very small hand. Now, what happened is after the sitting, I looked and I had a picture of this gigantic hand and it looked different than it did to my eyes. Um, but it was still it was there. No doubt about it. A gigantic hand. And to this day, I have no idea what happened in that situation. I mean, if it was a magic trick, it was a David Copperfield level most fascinating magic trick optical illusion I've ever seen. You know, um, some people say, you know, I hypnotically rendered it and then my camera shutter was just a long exposure. So it's a coincidence that I got a big hand on the camera. Um, people in the room say, no, he absolutely, the spirits came and enlarged his hand. All of these uh, interpretations are available in that image. And for me, it's still a mysterious picture because it's one of the most magical things I've ever seen. And I, yeah, that, that's what happened there. Um, <laughs> yeah, as you say, both explanations are equally uh, phenomenal, really. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No matter what, it's a phenomenal uh, event. And um, the, the other thing that happened with Gordon, and this, is, this image is on my site, too, is he went into a trance state and said, oh, you know, the spirits changed the shape of my face. I call them these ectoplasmic masks, and I, I look like I'm different people. And so I photographed him, and I did, you know, it was the only thing that was lighting this situation was a small green security light, so it was a very long exposure. And I did take a bunch of pictures of him, and he looked, he did look different in all of these pictures, and there was one in particular where he looked like he had a, a short little mustache. And I actually was afraid to show him this picture because I said, oh, it sort of looks like a Hitler mustache, and I definitely don't want to show him something like that, like, oh, this is just strange. And But I didn't end up showing it to him. He said, I love that picture. And I couldn't understand why. And then he brought me to his house and showed me a picture of his great-grandfather. And in this image, he is a spinning image of his great grandfather even he even looks like he's wearing glasses in the picture which he was not and he does not have a mustache either so this was one of my i would say this is one of my stronger photographic synchronicities and i really have no explanation for this and i find it incredibly interesting <laughs> i love how you keep referring to them as photographic synchronicities <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, the, the book is Seance, Spiritualist Ritual and the Search for Ectoplasm. Tremendous uh, photographs by Shannon Taggart. I mean, even just uh, aside from the phenomena, they're just beautiful. These are, this is the beautiful photographs. Uh, and Thank you. With a foreword by Dan Aykroyd. I've always been fascinated by the, the early 20th century photographs of ectoplasm. And, you know, we have to remind ourselves that these are in the days before you know, Photoshop and, and uh, certain developing techniques and so forth are playing around with double exposures. But, uh, I mean, let me get your first your take on, on, because you feature some of these in the book. These are not your photos. Mm -hmm. These were taken, again, over 100 years ago. What is your, what are your sense of these early photographs, this ectoplasm? Well, um, th these early photographs that you're talking about, they were... Yeah, I didn't know that they existed. I had I was a professional photographer and I studied photography and I read so many photo history books and these were not in any of the, the books that I studied from. So when I found out that they existed, I was shocked and fascinated because they are um, really absurd and, and uniquely strange and some of them are, you know, almost disturbing in a bizarre way and and there's an absurdity there to the, I, I think they're powerful images, but I, you know, they're so, there's something so bizarre about them. I wanted to learn more. And what I found was, is that the pictures themselves uh, with their, their hokey feeling, some of them, you know, or, or they're like, they're strange, you know, uh, they're strange, bizarre weirdness. I don't know how else to describe it really runs against the accounts of the people who were sitting in the rooms when they were happening. 
So, um, right. I mean, in many cases, there's a photo. It looks like someone just has like a, a, a lace doily coming out of their ear. But then if you look right. a little closer, you see the image of looks to be a, a woman's face in that doily. Right. Right. So and, you know, I think it was too. you know, when before the they were blasting light in to make these images. And, and so whatever light they were blasting in kind of destroyed this ethereal experience that people were having. Now, um, there's many ways to look at these images, you know, are, are they just are they symbolic religious art? Are they uh, scientific documents of, of a supernatural phenomena? Um, are they, you know, are they hoaxes? Are they real? I mean, all of that is kind of embedded. I mean, many spiritualists I speak with don't believe that all the images are real, but they do believe in the reality of ectoplasm, which is a whole other, you know, ectoplasm is a really, um, controversial topic, I guess. Um, well, you have a photo uh, from 2013, and this was in Casadega, New York. Is there a, a large spiritualist community there? Well, Casadega is right outside of Lilydale. Ah, okay. And so, um, as I said earlier, you know, in spiritualism, many of the, you know, it's a controversial topic to try and produce ectoplasm, which ectoplasm, I guess I should define it, it's, hmm. it's um, a a spiritual substance that you can see with the eyes that but it's a paradox because it's spiritual and material at the same time so it's the spirit world showing itself in a material um form and uh so they they don't many of the spiritualist camps don't even allow ectoplasm seances because they don't want to be accused of fraud or have people think that they're trying to trick people so many of these situations are done in private homes. And so that particular situation was done in a private home outside of Lilydale. Um, and the, they're kind of, they're not really advertised. It's all, it's pretty much word of mouth. And so you have to seek out the, the people who are still trying to do these Victorian style seances with the ectoplasm. And this physical medium in Casadega, I'm going to mispronounce the name. Is it Kai <laughs> Mug? Yeah, Kaim Kaim Yuge, uh He's German, so um, it usually has an umlaut, and I, I spell it with an e. Uh, it's M U E G G E. Um, yes, Kai is a, he's a German medium, and he's probably the most controversial medium working today. Uh, I think the Society of Psychical Research has do, uh, dedicated two issue two cover stories recently or semi recently towards his mediumship. Yes, he, Kai is um, traveling around and doing ectoplasmic seances, and there are people who are studying him and trying to prove if he's real or if he's fake, and um, he's a big um, topic of controversy right now within spiritualism. So describe the conditions under which you—this is your photograph, correct? Yes. Uh, yes. Describe and it. I, I, yes, so— um, if you see the, so I always usually pair the Kai image with one of the vintage spirit photo images because the experience of watching Kai seances is, is like watching one of these Victorian era spirit photographs come to life. You know, you sit in the dark and then a, a small light goes on and you see white substances with tiny pictures in them and then um, all of a sudden, you know, then, then it disappears. So you're not even really sure what you saw. It's a very hypnotic uh, although sometimes it's longer, but, um, and he allowed me to photograph this. And when it happened, it looks just like the vintage images that you see. It looks almost exactly like them. So I always try to pair the, the vintage with the images of Kai. And, you know, there are people who believe Kai is the real deal. There are people who, who think Kai is doing a magic show. There are people who, who believe it's more complicated than that, that it's a, a um, that it's somewhere in between something called mixed mediumship, which which that's a term that people use where it's like some of it's real, some of it's not. Uh, yes, so he's very controversial. <laughs> so so take me back as you're watching this with your own eyes. Never mind mm -hmm. what you're capturing on film here, but as you're as you're watching it, how does it does it begin with a little uh, a little speck? I mean, it looks almost like co a cotton gauze kind of stretched out or angel yeah. hair that we used to put on Christmas trees. How, how did it appear? Right. Um, 
Well, for Kai's, um, it's hard to tell because the lights go up slowly and then it's fully formed. So it's, it, for me, it was different. You know, Charles Roche was the Nobel laureate who coined the term ectoplasm. And he always described, described it as a, a steam that kind of builds and t- morphs and takes shape and then becomes this big form. Where um, with Kai, it, it's more like the lights slowly go up and then you see it fully formed and then the lights go down. So that, that was more of what I experienced when I saw Kai. Are you able to touch it? Are you permitted? Um, there was one medium who allowed me to touch ectoplasm, Ooh. and that was a different medium. And it, it felt, you know, kind of moist and 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 uh, kind of. It's hard to describe. It, 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 there was a there was a wetness to it, and a lot of you'll hear in the in the accounts of it, it that. Um, People say that it has this very earthy smell, and and so people will, uh, and that it's moist, and that it's also light sensitive. That is what is said about ectoplasm too. So that's why you have to be careful about lights in the séance room. So yeah, it's it's a very um, controversial topic within spiritualism. Wouldn't it be great if? We could just get a hold of some of this stuff and subject it to some rigorous scientific study. Uh, I think that there, there have that has been done in the past. Uh, I believe there's even a sample of Helen Duncan's ectoplasm in the library at Cambridge in in the UK, and I believe some of the studies there said said part of it was albumin, and um, you know when they pull it out, it look, very much looks just like cheesecloth. I've been told I have not seen the sample yet, hmm. um, but but um, I think there's some other. Somebody told me in Brown at Brown University there's also some ectoplasm in their archive, although I haven't fully investigated that yet. So it's rare, but there have been some samplings of it. Oh, fascinating! I must I must mm-hmm. make the journey and check this out. Seance, <laughs> spiritualist ritual, and the search for ectoplasm. Photographs by Shannon Taggart with a foreword by Dan Aykroyd. Tell me, uh, what did Dan Aykroyd make of these photographs? Is he a, a believer? Um. Yeah, he's probably. I asked. I asked him too. Like, is it okay to describe you as a fourth generation spiritualist? And um, he said yes. And then I, I, I think it's also well known that he's very interested in UFOs yes, too. Yes. So, um, yeah, but he's also interested in art and art where art and the paranormal. You know, because he's such an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. You know, a comedian, actor. Um, so I, I think he found my project interesting because I was using art and photography to talk about spiritualism. But, yeah. Right. Yeah, it is a wonderful blending. Uh, whether or not you're a, a believer in the paranormal, uh, you know, th- th- you're going to enjoy this, this book. How do people order Seance, Spiritualist Ritual, and the Search for Ectoplasm? Um, well, there's a lot of information about the book at my website, Shannon Taggart. Dot com, and um, there's a uh, you can click and um, pre, uh, pre-order the book. It's um, it's in pre-production, so um, as soon as I get, it, I'm halfway sold, and as soon as I sell a few more copies, it'll go directly into production, and then it's going to be 350 full color pages. Wow, 350. Yes. And yes. Uh, I guess uh, a final question. I mean, is is this sort of in any way change the trajectory of your professional career? Do you, do you want to, to explore this area more, f- do more photographs in this field? Um, yes, I do. Like, I do feel, you know, what I'm doing, is it's, it's sort of a bizarre cross between anthropology and art using photography and taking it into that direction has been very interesting to me and I hope to do more projects. I would love to photograph spiritism in Brazil for one, uh, once this project is completed. But I also um, have, I've created some personal work that is inspired by the project too. I have a portrait series where I kind of play with the long exposure in order to render a portrait. And so it's touched a lot of my work, but I still do also some very straightforward commercial work as well. Of course. But yes, but it's, it's been, a, it's really changed a lot for me. And um, I find the more I learn about spiritualism, the more interested I am in it. <laughs> well, you are to be congratulated uh, because this is, it's spectacular. That's all I can say, Shannon. 
Thank you so much, Richard. Well, before I dim the lights in my spirit cabinet, I want to share with you some details on episode 44 of Conspiracy Unlimited. But before that, of course, it's Friday and time for the weekly draw. And we'll get to that in just a moment. I'll reach into the ginormous cheese puffs jar and choose a winner. One of the things I'm going to miss in the afterlife are cheeseburgers. But while we walk the earth, we must eat, and uh, I do love to eat. If only the mighty Aphrodite wasn't such a good cook, I wouldn't be packing on the pounds. So really, it's all her fault. See what I did there? Anyway, but seriously, losing weight can be hard work. Unfortunately, the commitment to weight loss often fades. Many people simply give up in the first 90 days. The key is having the right mindset. Getting thin and staying that way lies in our thought processes, and hypnotherapy can make all the difference. Now, clinical hypnotherapist Dr. Steve G. Jones has created a set of five audio hypnotic sessions that apply the power of hypnosis to reprogram the mind and replace bad habits with vibrant, positive new habits and help you achieve natural and long-lasting weight loss. Weight loss hypnotherapy really works, and it's available now at a special discount. Isn't it time to lose those extra pounds? Check out weight loss hypnotherapy right now at smartclicksavings.com. That's smartclicksavings.com. All right, let's do the draw, shall we? Okay, and the winner of a Strange Planet CD is Larry Delanoy of Phoenix, Arizona. Larry, congratulations. If you want to get in on the draw, here's what you need to do. Rate and review this podcast, grab a screenshot of that, and then email it to me along with your name and mailing address. Email it to me at richardserrett1 at gmail.com. richardserrett1 at gmail.com. Coming up on episode 44 of Conspiracy Unlimited, John Rappaport of No More Fake News uncovers a nefarious chemical dosing experiment conducted by the National Academy of Sciences. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.